It's good to be here at Christ Church Cathedral this morning. Good for us to be gathered for the worship of Almighty God. Good for us to be in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead. And good for us to have this opportunity to connect as bishop and congregation on the occasion of the bishop's annual visitation. I am grateful to you all for your hospitality today, a hospitality that began shortly before the 7.30 service, and which has continued to unfold as the morning has unfolded here at Christ Church. Grateful to you all for that hospitality, and I'm grateful to you above all things for your leadership as our cathedral congregation in the Diocese of Tennessee. It's a unique ministry that you all uh, have embraced and which you have grown into as a congregation uh, it's a unique ministry as the cathedral parish, and so I'm grateful for that leadership that you're exercising in so many different ways in our diocese. I'm grateful to uh, Dean Timothy for his leadership here at Christ Church Cathedral, but also more widely in the life of the diocese as our dean, and uh, indeed, uh, more widely in the life of the Episcopal Church as well. Thank you for that leadership. And I'm grateful to the clergy uh, staff of Christ Church Cathedral, again, not only for their pastoral leadership here uh, at Christ Church, but also for their leadership that is exercised more widely, again, in several different ways, uh, more widely in our diocesan family. So grateful to them for that as well. Uh, I'm grateful also to your vestry for its leadership. These have been such challenging times for leaders of all sorts, in the church and indeed in society. These extraordinary days in which we've been living for the past several years have really demanded quite a bit from leaders of all sorts. You probably have been called to exercise that kind of leadership uh, yourself in your various endeavors, so you'll know it's been a a particularly challenging time. So I am very grateful to the vestry of Christ Church for its leadership here uh, in these extraordinary times. I'm also grateful to them, the vestry, for their good stewardship of the resources that have been given you all here at Christ Church for the mission and ministry of the church. Grateful to them for that good stewardship that makes so much possible uh, in the life of our diocese and makes so much possible here at Christ Church as well. Thank you for that stewardship. I'm grateful to everybody who's involved in the ministry of this congregation as well, uh, both lay professionals, uh, but also all the volunteers who are required to resource the varied ministry, uh, the varied ministries of this cathedral congregation, both in our community and, and ministries that are uh, particular to this congregation. It really does take so many people to make that possible, so I'm grateful there as well. But amongst all these other folks that I've been thanking, I want to thank you all here uh, at this liturgy for your leadership. You may not think about yourselves as leaders, but you are, you may just think that you're a churchgoer, but you are a leader. And that 
It doesn't matter how long you have been coming uh, to Christ Church or whether perhaps you are an absolute newcomer this morning. You know, that happens all the time. People actually for the first time at a particular congregation, so some of you may be in that situation. But whatever it is, whatever your particulars, you are all leaders today because you all are the ones who have turned out and shown up here today and are making it possible for us to be the church here at this time and in this place. You all are doing that by your prayers and your presence. You're doing that. I'm not doing that. You all are doing that. And I am particularly grateful to you all who are here uh, for your leadership in the church, particularly grateful for your faithfulness uh, which is making so much possible. It is truly good for us to be together here at Christ Church today. From our second reading this morning, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that we might have hope. Advent is the preeminent season of hope a time when we look forward to and anticipate something that still lies ahead. Perhaps it's the Christmas feast that we're preparing for. It's coming a few weeks. The celebration, of course, of Christ's first coming. The promise of a new world and a new reality breaking into this one. Now that's a cause for hope if there ever were one. But if we define hope as faith that is oriented to the future, toward what we are looking out for and expecting, but that has not yet arrived, then we'll need to broaden our range. Advent is the season in which the church looks for the coming of Christ in glory at the end of time, an event that's still over the horizon. In our time, here and now, we live in hope for a kingdom that is still to come. According to the prayer of St. Francis, maybe you know it, Hope is the remedy for despair. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Hope imagines a future still lying ahead. Hope imagines that future when despair can't see it. When despair maybe can't see it, or maybe can only see a future that's not worth living. That's despair. Despair cannot find a way forward. It comes to a full stop. 
Or, to change it up slightly, maybe despair is itself the brick wall that we ourselves run into. Despair. Hope, on the contrary, springs from the conviction that where we can't find a way forward, God himself will supply the path. Hope is different from optimism. You know, I, I think optimism is a wholly commendable thing. And I define it as, you know, expecting things to get better, looking for good things to come. And I feel sort of bad about this because I'm, I'm really going to beat up here on optimism a little bit. So just, just bear with me. It's in a good cause here. Because here's the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism doesn't long survive the wreckage of its expectations. When things, when things go bad, optimism doesn't survive. While hope is steadfast in the face of adversity. That's, that's the word Paul uses in our reading today. Steadfast. Steadfast hope. Hope is steadfast in the face of adversity. Hope continues to hope in spite of what happens. Now, when you are up against despair, you want to send in hope, not its lightweight cousin optimism. You want to send in hope, not that, not optimism. Because despair will eat optimism for breakfast every time, every time. Another way of saying this is that optimism is speculative. You know, what if? While hope is fully grounded in reality, hope isn't depending on what if. Hope is there. It's robust enough for the contest with despair. It doesn't depend on things unfolding as we optimistically suppose they will. Come what may, whatever the case, hope that is hope will endure. In ancient Israel, in a time of desperate need, with many temptations to despair, God sent prophets to kindle hope amongst the people. The land was ravaged by war. Pick your prophet, this is the situation. The land was ravaged by war. The people were surrounded by enemies. Social injustice was manifest. 
and the people themselves were divided. Pick your prophet. This is the situation. And in their sinfulness, it seemed to the people that God himself was arrayed against them. All optimism was swept away. Hard to sustain it in the face of all of this. But in spite of all of this, the prophets announced a new day and a new hope. In our second reading this morning, St. Paul points to the ministry of these prophets precisely in terms of hope. Whatever was written in former days, Paul says, whatever was written in former days, that's the prophets, was written for our instruction so that we might have hope. The prophetic word Paul suggests here was not only addressed to the people of their day, but also to our day. It's a word of hope spoken in the past that has immediate relevance for the present. There's a pattern here, a pattern for all times, including our own. What breaks through the wall of despair, however, is not the prophetic word of hope, but its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Hope for Christians is rooted in specific events, not a kind of general benevolence, but rooted in specific events. And that's another way in which it differs from our friend optimism. Hope looks to the future to what lies ahead for sure, but the promise is already present. Revealed in the pattern of what God has already done in raising Jesus Christ from the dead. We live in a time of hope between what God has done and what he will do to remake the world when Christ comes again in glory. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead creates a future where there was none before. Christ crucified has no future. Dead and buried has no future. That's, that's it. God himself, however, has supplied the path forward just when we were running into the brick wall of our own despair. What comes out of the empty tomb is the possibility of new life for those who have faith in him. The dead end of despair is overturned by new possibilities 
that go beyond our own capacity to imagine them, much less make them real. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, who would have thought? And of course, that is a miracle that we cannot reproduce. It is God's work in raising Jesus from the dead. But that's the end, the end of despair. Advent is the season of hope. The prophets are pointing the way. God is doing a new thing in Jesus Christ. He will come again in glory at the end of time to establish his kingdom. Despair is on the run. Meanwhile, we live in hope, looking out for and expecting what still lies ahead. And now to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, let us ascribe as is most justly due all might, power, majesty, and dominion this day and forever.